Hey, we are, um, if you're new, we are studying about God in a study called What is God Like? And we're going to be on, I think, page 8 this morning. Yes, we'll be in page 8 where we'll be today. And we're really looking at uh, a relationship, a Bible study about our relationship with the Lord. Is that better? Thank you. And uh, this morning it was reminding me, you know, we're studying about God, but when we study about what is God like, we're really we're talking about uh, a relationship that we have with God. And it's reminding me in, in relationships, um, we're always dealing in relationships with someone different than us, aren't we? You know, it's like, duh, of course. But, but a lot of times that kind of takes us by surprise, you know, particularly in relationships, whether it's with your kids, all of a sudden when you realize, you know, how many times with your kids have you ever looked at your spouse and said, where did he get that from? Or where did that, where did she, where did she get that from? Kim and I were, I don't, I don't even know what the occasion was yesterday. And we were talking, where did that come from? It didn't, oh, I think it's the musical talent. Both of our two oldest boys, uh, Sam loves to play violin. Josh loves to play saxophone. I'm not musically talented at all. Now she's been able to play piano, but, but both of us have kind of said, you know, where did that really come from? Because, just because of differences. And even a lot of times in marriage, how many times in your marriage have you ever, uh, you know, particularly the first five years of marriage, those things that, you know, when you were dating, there were those differences that were cute and funny. You know, and after about two or three years of marriage, they're not funny anymore. They're now annoying or irritating. And you have to adapt a little bit because your spouse is not like you. <laughs> and they're completely different. And uh, some of those things we laugh about and other things are kind of places of conflict. And, and but, but really, as we approach our relationship with the Lord, God is completely different. He is so completely different and uh, than we are. And that's a good thing because we are sinners and God is holy. So as we're looking at this, we're beginning the study of the Trinity and how God is uh, is one God, three persons, or <clears throat> I think last week I used the phrase God is one what and three who's. And I didn't come up with that. If you ever anybody ever listened to Hank Intergraph, the guy on AM six forty at five o'clock, I've heard Hank, and Hank probably didn't come up with that. He he probably got that from somebody else. But I like that phrase. God is one what and three who's. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, this morning uh, in our study. Uh, Julie and Russ, welcome back. We guys, we've been praying for you. Julie, Julie's grandmother died uh, several weeks ago, and we've been praying for her. And you know, Abe used a word this morning that is one of my favorite words. It's church family, and I have always, uh, particularly at, at at this church, always viewed my church as a family. And uh, as a pastor, I don't view this as my job or or anything like that. I I don't view you as view all of y'all as members of the congregation or something formal like that. It's this is my ministry, my life, my job, my family, my friends are just all wrapped up in one ball, and I don't separate the two. And to me, that's the neat thing, you know. When to me, when a family, when does a family really like? For instance, your family. What goes on in your family? A lot of stuff, but it's all kind of in the open, isn't it? <laughs> In your family, it's hard to hide stuff, you know, and uh, <clears throat> when, when somebody's down, the other person has to take up the slack. I think it was Monday <clears throat> when I was just out. I mean, I had this sinus stuff going on, and I was just zonked out, and I I didn't do anything Monday but just rest, and Kim 
probably thinking, well, you didn't do anything Tuesday either. And, but she did everything. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm, no, I'm normally not home during the day. I'm up here. But uh, even in the evenings, I didn't do much. And so another family member has to take up the slack in, in family. And in a lot of times, particularly this morning, the more we get to know each other, the more we feel safe and secure to share certain things that we wouldn't have shared that we don't share with strangers, you know, and that's a part of family and the church family that um, we're meant to uh, carry each other's burdens in a very real sense. And I, I know that there's been so many times in my life as a Christian when I really felt like my church family was helping me carry some of my burdens. And maybe all it, all it was was I, everybody knows this, this thing that I'm going through in life that's hard. And just the fact that other believers are aware of that and are praying for me, that helps me. And so I encourage you as you're, uh, as you're making this your church home or as you're building relationships here to, to do that. As you do that, as you get to know people, you, you find that you're, you're connected to people. You know, in the body of Christ, you know, we are the body of Christ. The, the arm is connected to the, the shoulder and the head to the neck. And don't start singing that song, okay? Okay, don't do that, all right? Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. We're all connected, and as we're connected to one another, you know, Paul even talks about that when one part of the body suffers, what happens? All of it suffers, you know? And that's kind of the, the way it's meant to, to be. And that, that's a great thing, that we can help one another out. I, I just wanted to mention that just on a couple of, a couple of notes because uh, of a lot of the things that are, that are brought up in here as far as prayer requests. That don't forget about those things. Call... Call one of your friends in here during the week and check up on them. And I would ask you to pray about this. If, if any of you have a, the type of work schedule to where you are at home sometimes during the day and you have some time during the day, um, I would ask you to pray about possibly uh, helping uh, Carol and Bill out, uh, Corey's parents. Um, sometime this week, next week, um, Carol is going to have, y'all heard she's going to have uh, surgery. And, and y'all y'all probably have seen Carol is here, I mean, every Sunday. And Bill, her husband, is here every Sunday. Bill's the guy that, that comes in on the walker. And uh, Bill is still suffering from some issues from previous strokes, right? And Bill's got lung cancer that he's still being treated for. But you know what? He's here every Sunday. And, and that, every time I see him come in the door, it, it, it inspires me. Because we can come up with a lot of excuses not to do certain things. And Bill could probably say, you know, I, I can't make it to church, but he's here so often. And it, it's an encouragement to all of us. But Carol takes a lot of her time during the day taking care of him. She's going to be out for six weeks, and she's going to need people to, to help her out. And, of course, Dale and Corey and some of the family are going to do that. But if you have time during the day over the next six weeks, if you're thinking, you know, I could go spend some mornings or afternoons over there at their house in Bartlett just to bring them a glass of water, uh, you know, help them out, uh, you know, just either come to me or come to Dale and Corey. And uh, that's, that's going to be a need that uh, they won't mention that to you, but I wanted to. Uh, so anyway, having said that, let's jump into chapter eight in our Bible study. And we're going to look at this week, we're going to, uh, today, we're going to look at the persons of God. Now, this is one of those words that we're going to apply to God, and it's not necessarily the best word in the world. Typically, when we think of a person, we think of a human being. But we're going to take this word, and we're going to apply it to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're obviously using a word that falls short 
when we start talking about Jesus as a person or the Father as a person or the Holy Spirit as a person, we're obviously talking about Almighty God. But we're talking about one what and three who's. And so we're going to go through different verses that basically say the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, but yet they're not three gods, but they're one God. And that's this awesome thing that we call the Trinity. Or if you've ever heard the phrase, I'm going to use one of those big words, watch out, the doctrine of the Trinity, all right? And uh, what does this word doctrine mean? A belief, yeah, or a teaching. How many of y'all grew up in a uh, a church, maybe it was Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Episcopal, where there was something on the bulletin called the doxology. I remember looking at, I remember in our bulletin growing up, there was the doxology, there was the benediction, there was all this stuff, and I'm like, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. I don't know any of this stuff. Please, will somebody use a word that I can understand, <laughs> was what I kept thinking. But doxology was the teaching time or the preaching time, the time when the pastor gets up and, and brings the word. And uh, it's a Greek word that just means teaching. So doctrine is a word that just means teaching. So the doctrine of the Trinity is the teaching of the Trinity, that God is one what and three who's, just simple as that. Sounds pretty simple, but we don't, we can't completely comprehend that. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses of Scripture that would tell us that God is a trinity, all right? Simple as that. We mentioned last week, that's real important because, uh, number one, it helps us to get closer to God. But the other thing is there's a lot of people that live in our area that have, that go to a, uh, that are part of a belief system that is against the doctrine of the trinity. Anybody know, uh, anybody have any friends or neighbors uh, that are Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Or, okay, all right, a lot of us do, and 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 some some of y'all from time to time, you, uh, I've noticed you, you want to be able to share your faith with people that are different, and uh, and 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 if you're sharing your faith with a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, this is one of those areas that you need to get acquainted with to help them with that. Um, Kim, what's the person? We there's somebody that we know that uh, who was that? That uh, oh, it's uh, Kelly Curlin, Donnie and Kelly. Uh, Donnie Curlin's wife got visited by Jehovah's Witness, Witness a couple weeks ago. Uh, so anyway, we're going to look at John chapter 17, verse 1 through 3. And uh, But I want to give you a little story, something that uh, happened to me when I was in high school. Uh, in high school, I had uh, I took uh, chemistry class, took physics in, in high school, like I guess a lot of people do. And I had this uh, chemistry and physics teacher who was, uh, as I look back on him, he, he kind of reminded me a little bit of the, uh, the mad scientist type guy. I mean, he had this classroom, but, but he had this storeroom over to the left of the classroom where he, I don't know what he had in there. He had chemicals, all sorts of stuff in there. And there were times you'd come in the classroom and he was just racing around doing stuff. And there was always something, you know, the, uh, the Bunsen burner going, and there was something boiling, and, you know, all the tubes and all. He always had something going on back there. And, uh, you know, you, you were just expecting one day to come in and just the whole place just, just blow up, you know. And, uh, but this man was a, was an incredible man of God. He was an awesome believer. He was always encouraging, and he always would take science and apply it to God. And so he always, even though I didn't do well in physics and chemistry in high school, he always kept us, uh, in, not entertained, but always engaged, thank you, 
Okay? And so, you know, when you get older, have you ever noticed couples, they start finishing sentences with one another? Have you ever been talking to an older couple and, and you're talking to them, but you find yourself having a conversation with two people? You know what I'm talking about? Because they're both finishing each other's sentences. And it's, it's, it's really, it's helpful. It's also <laughs> kind of creepy too, but it is funny. <clears throat> and so anyway, Mr. McKee was, was uh, my teacher. And uh, he had, uh, anybody know what a slide rule is? Anybody remember the age of the slide rules? I mean, that was way before like my time. But uh, if you ever seen the movie Apollo 13, when uh, all the guys are, are, and men and women are number crunching, they're all using these slide rules. And it's so weird. Well, Mr. McKee had this huge slide rule that I promise you it was like six foot tall. It was over his blackboard. And we would, he would, you know, we'd have to calculate something. We'd get the calculators out. And there he was. He would have this huge slide rule up there. He was moving back and forth, and he would come up the same number, and we were just cracking up. He was hilarious. Well, one day he came in. I promise you I'm going to relate this to the Trinity, okay? <laughs> this is, this is going to be connected to the Trinity. We're, you just got to be patient, all right? Uh, <clears throat> came in one day, and he had one of those huge bulbs, a glass bulb. I don't know what, I don't know if it's an Erlenmeyer flask. I don't know what it is, but it's one of those big glass bulbs where you had tubes hooked onto it and he had it hooked up to an air compressor and there was a Bunsen burner burning underneath it and all this stuff going on. And I'm like, what in the world's he got going on today? And I said, what's in there? And he said, well, come up and look at it. And he had this little, uh, this little weird grin, kind of like, um, Seen the, the the TV show Dexter's Laboratory? Any of your kids ever watched Dexter's Laboratory? You know what I'm talking about? He had this old Dexter's look on his face, like he he's got something going on here. So I'm looking in there. He said, "Now you look real close." I said, "It's just boiling water." He said, "Take a look again." So I looked in there real closely, and I see water boiling in there. I see liquid water. I see it boiling. I see steam in there, and right float right in the middle of the water that's boiling, there's a chunk of ice in there. I'm like, hmm. That's kind of cool. And I said, well, how did you get that to work? He said, well, well you'll find out later on. And so I'm, uh, I'm thinking, well, that piece of ice is going to, it's going to melt. It's in boiling water, obviously. So it's, it's going to be there for a couple of seconds and it's going to be gone. So <clears throat> he said, John, look at the time. And so I looked at the time and, and he said, did you notice the piece of ice in there? And I said, yeah. And so anyway, we went about our business. We sat down and we were talking about this topic of the day, which was called the triple point of water. Now, you can Google it later on, and we're not going to get into all that. But by the end of the class, it was an hour later, he said, now I want everybody to come back and look at this, whatever that thing is, of water. And I looked in there, that ice cube, frozen water, was still in the water that was boiling, that steam was coming off of it. All three states of water were together at the same time continually existing at the same time. Ice, liquid water, and steam, gas. All three phases of water continually existing at the same time. It's called the triple point of water. If you bring water to a certain pressure and temperature, you will have ice, solid, liquid, and gas all at the same time. And if you think about that, all three are water, aren't they? They are completely identical. The characteristics of steam, ice, and, and liquid water are all identical, but yet they're not the same, are they? They are unique. They are distinct, but yet they're all of one type of essence. And, and, and we, he concluded this, and I was like, man, this is really cool. You know, and of course, he had to have the air compressor on there hooked up the, the whole time to keep it all operating at the, 
at the same thing. And he said, it took me six hours this morning to get this all set up just right to where this would work like this. I said, that's amazing. And he said, yeah, it is. But he said, think about it like this. God is the same way. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three are one God. It's just like that stuff that was in that bulb. It's All it is is water. God is God. But yet there's a distinction between steam, ice, and liquid. And there's a distinction we see in Scripture of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I'm like, man, that is incredible. It blew me away. So anyway, you, you know, go home and impress your friends. You know, you can find out about the triple point of water. And tomorrow you can, at your place of business, you can give a, a presentation about that, okay? And you can tie it in with the Trinity, okay? So anyway, hold on to that. There's all, there's all these little analogies that people give about how can we understand the Trinity. All of them ultimately fall short. Nothing can really describe God like the Word of God can. So let's look at a couple of verses of Scripture. Look at John chapter 17. <laughs> I can see, I can, not, not, I can't see you blowing up the kitchen, but I can see you trying to do this experiment, man. I bet you got enough stuff around your shop. <laughs> Did you hear Dave? I have some stuff. I do. <laughs> we'll have to do that sometime, Dave. Kathy, you can just go see a movie or something. We'll have it all cleaned up by the time you get back. <laughs> have the fire extinguisher ready. All that. Yeah. All right, chapter 17, verse 1. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, this hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that to, that to all who you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, for us, it's obvious the Father is God. You know, we didn't have, we really didn't have to turn to this verse of scripture, but here very specifically is a verse where Jesus is specifically calling his father God. All right. Plain and simple. Don't make it any more complicated. Now do this. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 5. We went over this last week. We're going to go over it again though. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So yeah, people worship a lot of gods and a lot of lords, but there's only one that really exists. All the rest are fake, frauds, and uh, but there is only one, specifically here called God. Now do this. Turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and look at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to, the, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? You know, it's, you read this at first glance and you're thinking, well, what did the guy do wrong? He sold his land, gave some of the money back to the apostles. Why is that bad? Well, the, undoubtedly in the midst of this, he lied about it. He basically was saying, I'm giving all the money to you guys, to the Lord, and when he really didn't. And so he was basically lying. And uh, Peter miraculously is given this information. In verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? 
Holy Spirit, and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? So who did you lie to? God, the Holy Spirit, obviously there. And so a passage that, that, that talks about the Holy Spirit being God. And, and again, uh, not a big deal to us. We understand that. But for instance, to give you, give you an example, if you have a Jehovah's Witness friend, they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force used by God, that the Holy Spirit is not personal, that uh, he is not God but that he is merely like a tool of God that God uses. And, of course, we, we're going to look at several scriptures this morning that say that, that he is not a force, that he is uh, God himself. Now, turn over to Matthew 28, 19. Back up to verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the, does it say in the names? In the name, singular, interesting. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What name? It's like Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 when it says, Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Then God, singular, said, let us. There is the singular aspect of God, one what? There's the plural aspect of God, three who's. And it just whew, just flies right over our head. I'm like, I cannot comprehend that. I cannot get a grip on that. I cannot completely understand that. That blows me away. And guess what? Good. When you get to that point where you realize that and you're just thinking, God, you're incredible. You are awesome. That's praise. That's the very heart of praise. If you get overwhelmed with these verses, don't let them frustrate you. Just don't. They, these used to frustrate me. I remember telling myself, I'm going to figure out the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm going to figure it out. That's a wrong attitude. That was an arrogant attitude. It was an ignorant attitude as well. I didn't know. I, I really wanted to understand. But then I realized I can't fully comprehend God because I'm a pea brain. Here's God's infinite amount of brain power off the chart. And I don't even register on the graph. I'm, I'm so small. I, I, I don't even register on the graph at all. I'm tiny. I'm nothing. And, 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 and a lot of times we read these verses and we realize God is just unbelievable. You know the, the song by Stephen Curtis, Stephen Curtis Chapman, um, Speechless? Anybody remember that song? Speechless. And you listen to that song and, and he's singing the song and he's talking about how he's speechless. And I understand what he's talking about. When you're like overwhelmed, you're like, God, what, what can I say? You're just incredible. I don't know what to say. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end <clears throat> of the age. Okay, and we've got down here at the bottom of your page, many groups such as Jehovah's Witnesses claim that the Holy Spirit is not God, but in, instead of force used by God. Read John 16, 13. How is the Holy Spirit described here as a force or a person? So let's turn to John chapter 16, and we'll look at the very beginning of the passage. And, and you know, I, I, I don't want you to, uh, to think that I am picking on people of other belief systems. I, I, I don't want you to think that I'm coming across like that. Uh, all of us here were of some different type of belief system before we were Christians, all right? We all have a past. We all uh, were non-believers at a certain point, and then we became believers. And, and the reason that probably happened is because somebody put us 
put someone in our path and intercepted us and spoke the truth to us. And then God tells us the same thing. Now you go and tell the truth to someone who does not understand. And a lot of times out there, we meet just, they're, they're not necessarily of any particular type of church. They just don't know. They don't understand who God is. But, but sometimes you meet people who are of a particular belief system and you find out that they're really confused or deceived in what they're believing. And I like to, I like to call it, you, you meet some people, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons I have met, they're like a huge knotted ball. You know, have you ever, or guys, you can probably relate this, have you ever uh, wrapped up your extension cord, you know, and you're trying to do it really carefully so that the next time you use it, it'll be, it'll just unwind, and then the next time you go use it, what happens? It's all tangled up. Does anybody, that happen to anybody besides me? Or will you please show me how to, to do it right so that won't happen? But you're untangling things. And yesterday, Josh and I were untangling this big cord that was just in knots. And, and some people, you meet them, and, and they're just all tangled up in a knot spiritually. They're confused and deceived. And what it takes is someone, when you're untangling a knot, you have to be very patient. You have to be very patient. What was it? It was something of the kids. Oh, I know what it was. You know those little action figures that, that have the parachutes connected to them? And you throw them up in the air, and they come down, and after about three times, what happens to them? They get all tangled up. Those things are like impossible to untangle, but you have to be real patient. And, and a lot of times we meet people like that, and we go, man, that person's just got a lot of issues. Well, you know, we, got, we, we at one time probably had a lot of issues too. I know I have, and, and, and you as well. And what it takes is someone who will be patient with that person to help them untangle all their knots theologically and um and, and so i pray i do i do pray this as, as we go through the study that god will bring someone into your life to help them understand god properly because what's the whole point of us studying this is it just for us no it should be for us but it should also be to help other people understand who god is so anyway all right turn the page we're on page nine now or excuse me no we're in john chapter 16 we'll turn the page in a minute we're just in John 17. Now we're going to be in John 16, and we're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in verse six, uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 16, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Jesus talking about persecution, persecution that's about to come upon the church. It was a great persecution that was about to come upon the church for an entire generation. Verse 4, But these things I have spoken to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You think about when Jesus was, was talking. We go back to John chapter 14, and that was when they were celebrating the Passover. And Jesus was talking about, hey, somebody's going to betray me. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of, of uh, those who are going to crucify me. And then in chapter 17 that we read a few minutes ago, Jesus is already in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's talking to them about what's about to happen. And he's saying, I'm about to go back to the Father. He's going to ascend to the Father, ascend to the Father within 40 days. In verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. Does anybody have a different word there besides helper? Counselor? What would he, Chris, what translation do you have? All right, New International. What was the other? Comforter. What translation is that, Julie? All right, Living Bible. Anybody have anything different? Okay, so we got three different words there. Comforter, helper, counselor. You know, all these different incredible verses. I'm going to send you someone. I wonder who he's talking about. Look at verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So this person we're going to find out is the Holy Spirit. He's sent into the world for us to comfort us, to counsel us, uh, to help us. And he also convicts people of sin. So when, it, when you feel convicted, when you feel guilty, when you feel bad because you've done something and you feel convicted of that, that's the Holy Spirit that's made you feel convicted. And then, of course, you give that back to God and ask forgiveness, and God forgives you, and God cleanses us of all righteousness, it says. Look at verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. But you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So what's this talking about? What's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians? Why do we have him? Yeah, he has a helper. What else is told to us in here? Why is the Holy Spirit in our life? Mm -hmm. It also says he's the spirit of truth, which means he helps us with what? Decisions, understanding the truth. When you, do you ever have a, one of those moments when uh, you're studying the Bible or maybe you're thinking about something you study in the Bible and all of a sudden the light, that light bulb goes off in your head, ding, you're like, hey, I, I think I got something. I think I, I understand something I've never understood before, something clicked. Is that just from you and your awesome level of understanding and, or did someone else give that to you? Holy Spirit gave it to you. It's Him that gets the glory for that. Anytime we understand something, new or God enlightens us or helps us with some type of decision. That's from the Holy Spirit. That's not from us. We're just not, we're not capable of things like that. And look at verse 14. It says, he will glorify me for he shall take, he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Do you see this partnership or this connection that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have with one another, that you can't really separate them. You know, Jesus says, look, I have, I have uh, come to you, but I'm going to be leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you to teach these things to you. In fact, do this. Turn back to John chapter 14, and, uh, which is, you can also turn to page 9, <clears throat> and, you, and we'll, we'll see the unity in this. We're going backwards. We went from John 17 to 16, and now we're going to 14, okay? So today's backwards day. Okay, John chapter 14, and look at, look at verse 8, or, or actually look at verse 6 of John chapter 14. And right here, we're still, we're still in this area called the upper room. We're, we backed up, we've gone from the Garden of Gethsemane, and now we're in the upper room when they are celebrating the, ca the Passover meal. And in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. What do you th why do you think Jesus said that? If you had known me, you would know my Father also. What's that supposed to mean? Huh? They're the same. 
They're the same essence. You remember last week when we were reading that ancient thing called the Athanasian Creed? Does everybody remember that? It's, and it's in the back of your study. You don't have to look at it now, but you can, if you weren't here last week, you can look at that later. The Athanasian Creed, this creed that's like 1,600 years old, that talks about the Trinity, and it says that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're one in essence, like water. Steam, ice, and water, they're distinct, but they're one in essence. They're just water, you know? They're all the same. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father, is what he says in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I not been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? There's that unity. There's this unity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's this connection. There's this relationship there that you can't separate. That for us is this thing that we call unity. Oneness. This oneness that, that, uh, that God is. He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. We're going to stop right here in the midst of this passage. We'll finish this passage next week. And what it's going to communicate is this thing called oneness. It's, it's this thing called oneness in the Trinity. And, and, and really, it's the thing that all of us long for. I mentioned this to you. You know, the Bible says that, that in, in what we've been talking about, that, that God is one. That there's this oneness that the Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit experience as God. And that just blows us away. You know, there's a number of times where we see, remember the passage where it talks about that John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. And you remember what happened? Something miraculous happened at that baptism. Anybody remember? The Holy Spirit descended like a dove, not as a dove. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit wasn't flapping around with wings. It says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Okay, it was evident that the Holy Spirit's presence was there. And then somebody was talking. Anybody remember who was talking? The father spoke and everybody heard. Behold, this is my beloved son, father, son, Holy Spirit, all three right there together in the midst of that. And so all throughout scripture, you see this oneness that God experiences. And then he wants to share that with us because in that passage in John 17, when Jesus is praying and he knows he's about to be arrested, he prays this. He says, God, I pray for these that they will be one as you and I are one. He wanted them to experience this oneness with God. And, and we see that a lot of times even in relationships, in, in the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship is, is meant to reflect God's relationship with his church. In marriage, there is a bride and a groom. And Jesus in the New Testament is, is portrayed as what? as the groom. And we are his bride. The picture is, is we are married to Christ and, and that we, that we can, and, and, and that a married couple at times can experience this, this oneness. It's like when you're, when your hearts are one, when you're on the same page with somebody and you have a single focus and you're together, you're moving through life together like that. And that God wants us to experience that. And it's a little, a little piece of heaven almost. And, and particularly not only as married couples, but also as a church. God says, we as a church, we're not moving together as 300, 400 different individuals, but we're meant to move together like a body, moving 
together in unison is the picture of this thing called oneness that God wants us to experience as a church as well. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that is communicated beyond just who God is and our relationship with him. But uh, I just pray, you know, ponder a lot of this stuff, meditate on it when you're praying. Just think about who God is, praise him for who he is, and, and uh, pray that God will send somebody to you this week to maybe share your faith. So, hey, any questions before we split? All right, let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for your incredible love for us, that it's unending and that uh, it's just overwhelming at times, God. And uh, Lord, we don't acknowledge you enough for who you are. And so, Lord, pray this, this, this morning for our time with uh, our church family that uh, maybe we would go and, and meet someone new, that uh, uh, maybe a stranger this morning that we would go and say hello to and, and greet them, that, Lord, we would uh, get in tune with... Uh, the needs of our church family, that we would encourage one another. And God, we thank you for this time together. This is all from you, and it's all a blessing by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week. See you next week.